Hello, and welcome to the 10th publicly released episode of 33 and a Third Under 45. This show is a collection of personal essays written by me, Ryan Lynch, each based around an album that I've had on repeat. For the next few weeks, I'm releasing previous episodes that were originally available exclusively on Patreon. This episode was originally written on February 10th, 2019. For up-to-date news, episodes, and columns, follow me on Twitter, at StoopKidLivesOn, or go to FranzRadio.com. Or you can follow my band, Premium Heart, at PremiumHeartNY on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date on future shows and releases. Everything's kind of on hiatus right now for the quarantine and all that stuff going on. So if anyone wants to reach out and give me some cool new music to listen to, I'm definitely available. So hit me up on Twitter. What kind of soundtrack keeps us inspired in a cynical world? I'm Ryan Lynch, and this is 33 and a third under 45. And the record begins with a song of rebellion. When I watch you, want to do you right where you're standing. Yeah, right on the foyer. Here we go. I've been putting off writing this one for a while. I'm going to try to keep the gushing to a minimum here, but Say Anything's Is a Real Boy has been called my favorite record more often than not over the last six years or so. I could go on about how Alive with the Glory of Love is a perfect song, or how one of the best songs to cover with my high school band was The Feudal with its intro. Shit! Nothing makes sense! So I won't think about it. I'll go with the ignorance. Eat! Sleep fucking flee! Forwards, that's me! I am full of indifference! What do the old people teach us? Or even how neither my wife nor I hesitated to say, I want to know your plans, had to be the first dance at our wedding. So instead of just talking about how flawless it is, I'd rather talk about why I've been listening to it a lot lately. I don't plan on getting into the songs that mean the most to me, but what the record is trying to say as a whole. As an aside, you gotta admit, it doesn't get more precious than this. You're what keeps me believing the world's not gone dead. Strengthen my bones. So if this record is such an important part of my narrative, why am I writing about it now? I'll be doing a two-part column about Say Anything's first major release, the aforementioned Is A Real Boy, and their most recent and allegedly final record, Oliver Appropriate. I'll save most of the Oliver talk for next time, but the premise is that it's a concept album that extrapolates the character set up in Is A Real Boy, and follows up on where that character would be 15 years on. So let's take a look at that guy's beginnings. 
The general idea behind the record is that our narrator, an angst-ridden, entitled, suburban asshole, has been cursed that everything he feels and thinks just pours out of his mouth in a dramatic and musical way. Definitely not how I see myself in any way, I swear. But this character isn't supposed to be our hero. I've been thinking a lot about the problematic lead style of storytelling and what it lets us explore. I'm a big fan of following the, I don't want to say villains, but the characters we aren't supposed to agree with to help illustrate the flaws we all have. Seinfeld, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and Rick and Morty are prime examples of cautionary tales of letting your pettiness and ego get in the way of being a real human being. We also have characters like Han Solo, who we see develop from problematic asshole to hero in their own right. That growth is what makes them fan favorites. But I've also been thinking a whole lot about the role that these characters play when the wrong lessons are learned by the audience. Rick and Morty's fanbase is one of the most toxic places around, and they worship at the feet of a character that's supposed to be the villain of the series, taking his narcissism as an ideal to strive for instead of seeing the damage he brings to the rest of the cast. People look up to Joker and Harley Quinn, a couple that was literally created to bring domestic abuse and mental illness to the forefront of the already traumatic and messy world of Batman, but does that mean we should abandon work with problematic characters regardless of authorial intent? Personally, I think it's more important than ever to showcase the problems these characters work through and help show their motives and the impact they have. Fiction is a safer place to explore the problems of society than let people, just like our characters, exact more harm on the people around them and get surprised by the fallout. But by bringing voice to problematic views that people define themselves by, are you doing more harm than good? As Vonnegut said, we are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be, after all. So how does that relate to as a real boy? Max Bemis, the writer behind Say Anything's catalog, has openly spoken about how often the themes of Is a Real Boy were misinterpreted. Our character was never supposed to be Max, but the manifestation of what drives an angst-ridden, entitled, suburban asshole who can't control his own impulses. I watch this dude each night, same table, he creates and crumples up. His eyes are wide from sipping endlessly his endless coffee cup. He feeds me quotes that lonely goat. I watch him grazing by himself. I will not stop him when he rambles. I'm becoming one myself. His bug shot up with drugs, sweats this bird. Without their clothes So like some hybrid mother Slash lover She'd soothe and heal his wounds Kiss them dying ears So softly that the reaper Stops to swoon No please Full disclosure, I completely missed this in high school And just couldn't stand his vocal delivery and writing style Until years later when it finally clicked I thought it was celebrating his ego And lust for sex and acceptance Mostly the former but it wasn't. It was projecting what this guy, who was a hell of a lot more like high school Ryan than I'd like to admit, wanted more than anything in the world, but it wasn't supposed to make you feel good and empowered. Revisiting it years later it made a hell of a lot more sense why the style was so sarcastic. And this girl who I met, whose pride makes her hard to forget.
When I read Catcher in the Rye in middle school, it was on the recommendation of my 8th grade English teacher, two years before he read it as an assignment. She pulled me aside after class and said, you really should read this now. If you wait to read it with a class, you'll hate it. I don't know what she saw in me at 13, but she was right. When I first read it, I was in disbelief at how much of myself I found in Holden Caulfield. I read it over and over again, every winter, for the next several years, and my feelings toward the book changed significantly every time I finished it. My senior year of high school, I realized, yeah, I was Holden, and Holden really sucks. I was also convinced that the whole book serves as a farewell message to his therapist before an inevitable suicide. And, being an angst-ridden, entitled, suburban asshole struggling with my own depression, I knew, deep down, that if I didn't make a significant change to my cynical, spiteful, implicitly misogynistic self, I would end up there too. I hated everyone around me, and what did I have to show for it? A lot of hate, and nothing else. So I worked on it, went to college, and reinvented myself as a romantic optimist, desperately trying to escape Holden Caulfield. I still adore Catcher, don't get me wrong, but much like Is a Real Boy, where I once took it literally, I finally realized that it's supposed to make me uncomfortable. It's supposed to challenge me to rise above this character. In Every Man Has a Molly, we have a breakup song with more vitriol than you can believe. It's about how his emotional honesty has pushed his girlfriend away. Max has openly spoken about how he was a virgin till college, and then how there was never a real Molly, but in this character's mind, there should have been one. In Admit It, a diatribe against the exclusive nature of liberal hipster culture, we see the same rage. When you walk by a group of quote-unquote normal people, you chuckle to yourself, patting yourself on the back as you scoff. It's the same superiority complex shared by the high school jocks who made your life a living hell and it makes you a slave to the competitive capitalist dogma you spend every moment of your waking life bitching about. Yeah. pretentious, it's pissed off, it's what I felt like as a teenager. All I wanted to do was scream at everyone I thought I was better than, which, of course, was everyone. But luckily, I used characters like this to address and start the process of exercising the parts of myself that I see in these characters. So what happens when the audience learns the wrong lessons from a cautionary tale? What does Holden Caulfield look like 15 years later? What kind of person grows out of someone like this if they never learn how to be better? I'll be back next episode to talk about the sequel. 2019's Oliver Appropriate. And I am done with this. I wanna taste the breeze of every great city. My car and my guitar. My car and my guitar.
I give you the incredible flying machine. <laughs>